Welcome back to Best Hour of Their Day. Fern and I are going to dive deep into the sumo deadlift high ball. I bet people don't even think that's possible. Well, sumo deadlift high ball, along with the medicine ball clean, you know, they're the two movements that are like the WTF. Why do we do these? We hear it, you and I hear it most weekends at the level. I'll have people in my breakout groups crossfitting for five years, and I'm like, who's never done the sumo deadlift high ball? And they raise their hand. Same thing for the med ball clean. I'll always ask, how many of you guys program this in your workouts? Zero hands will go up. Zero. And and I tell them to this day, the medicine ball clean is one of the few movements that always leaves me sore. Like lunges and medicine ball cleans. There's a lot of reasons for that. It's kind of a double squat. Most people don't stand up all the way. So then your your legs never get a break. But it's people, people avoid those two movements for two reasons. They don't like doing them or they don't know how to coach them. And that's what we're going to talk about. You have two of the best coaches in the world, you and me, and we're going to talk about the sumo deadlift high pull. So let's, let's talk why, why we should do the sumo deadlift high pull before we dive into progressions and cueing and fixes. What's the importance of it? Well, for me, I think the best way to address that is you just ask a question and you ask an additional question, which is, you want to teach the snatch and the clean and jerk, right? And this is, this, is a, this is a really great way to introduce the basic mechanics, or if we're going to use you know, some content from level one, teach the principle of core to extremity without having to worry about a couple pretty gnarly things that you're going to see with, uh, with newer athletes. So if I teach the sumo de pull, I can teach the, the basic concept of using hips and then hands first without having to worry about people's front rack position, without having to worry about like people who can't put a barbell overhead and don't understand what external rotation is. So you can teach people that kind of, and really what it does is it really kind of illustrates like really good athletic movement. Yeah. I mean, I always try to relate things back to my mom. She doesn't do CrossFit, but I'm always like, Hey, if I, if my mom started, I don't want to have to teach her about the front rack position or an overhead position, but I can still get her moving, you know, going back to that level one, a large load, long distance, and quickly with that sumo pull. Yeah, and the beauty of the sumo pull is it's inherently limiting in load. You're not going to load anybody up with a ton of weight on the sumo pull. No, I mean, if you think back to dot-com or other workouts, the heaviest I remember seeing ever was a regional one workout. Five, maybe. Yeah, one, you would say 135, 95. That was the workout of maybe the 2014 or 15 regionals. I mean, a 135 sumo de la Thai pool in a, in a daily CrossFit workout, most people will not touch. Yeah, they're doing the old rebend the knee, get their chin down versus pull that bar up. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the Chinese pull where you pull yourself down to the bar. <laughs> so, you know, and I have an amazing story about the sumo de la Thai pool that I want to share towards the end of this, but. It's a truly functional movement in the sense that, you know, I was just in Texas this past weekend and I was teaching them the sumo de la Taipo and I say, all right, we're in Texas. I got 10 of you in my group. I assume all of you have a pickup truck. We're in Texas, right? And they like start laughing. But I tell them like, hey, if you're taking something from the ground and you need to load it somewhere like that, that is basically a sumo de la Taipo. Yep. So 
your average member that comes into the box does some sort of sumo della typo every day. And I feel like this is the most times I've ever said sumo della typo in five minutes. So well, we're gonna we're gonna keep going then. Let's let's dive into the movements. Maybe we've convinced people of the importance of it. If you you know whether it's implementing it in their on ramp, their fundamentals, or even just classes. Let's talk about how to go about teaching it. Because you know you see us at our level one. We use a progression for it. You get some new people into your box for CrossFit Rife. How do you go about getting them started with this? I think the big takeaway here is is you need to use a progression for any complex movement. So let's just remove the sumodellus high pull from the equation. If you're going to teach the snatch, if you're going to teach the clean and jerk, if you're going to teach the sumodellus high pull, the med ball clean, you need push press, push jerk, whatever. It, you should break it down into small bite-sized chunks so that people can consume it. Agreed. And, you know, that's why we use those progressions. And, and not to mention, the progressions that we use are also phenomenal at fixing people. So let's, let's talk to Modelo Taipo. We get yep. them in the right stance. So we say, all right, guys, we need you to step wider than your deadlift, probably no wider than you'd squat, because we need to focus on one important thing, that your knees stay over the toes. Knees got to stay over the toes. There's, there's your limit in stance. And then, and then where would you go from there? Double overhand grip in the middle, thumbs distance apart. Yeah, I think the, the, the sumo del pool can be a little bit intimidating because I do think there's a little wiggle room in there with stance and grip. So I like to use basic parameters. And, and, and obviously there are some outliers here. So every, all the people on the internet don't freak out when I give you these parameters, okay? So I will tell people you can go as wide with your feet as you can keep your knees over your toes. You can go as wide with your hands as you can keep your elbows high and outside at the top of the sumo de la pool. Obviously, we don't want to go any closer because everybody knows you're that guy who doesn't know what you're doing when you're when the plates hit at opposite times and you look like you have like a teeter-totter in your hand. Um, so I'll, I'll give those basic parameters, and then from there, I'll make the adjustments. But I, I generally like to go about one step outside of the squat stance, but not much more than that. Yeah, and I mean, that's it. And I think one thing hopefully you listeners are taking from this is – this is really simple coaching. You don't hear us talk about, hey guys, step your feet here. I need your knees in line with your toes so we can recruit your abductors, your adductors, all sorts of nonsense. It's like, step out, do your, you know, look down, are your knees over your toes? Cool, let's move forward. Yeah, so then once you get that, then you're just gonna teach them the deadlift and all the principles of the deadlift apply. So the big mistake I think people make here is they over teach it. So put them in their stance and grip really quickly have them get to the bottom of the deadlift and have them stand up and try to do that really quickly because this is one of those movements where people generally will overthink it and now you have a massive problem on your hands as a coach. So get them into stance and grip quickly, start them moving into the deadlift as fast as possible. Yeah, I agree. It's like, as soon as I get people in the right position, it's like, all right, let's move. I don't want you to have the time to think about it. Stand. All right, you all can stand up. I've seen you standing all weekend long or all day long cool. Now you're standing with your PVC or even a barbell in your hand. Your arms are long. They're straight. That's what we're looking for. One thing I tell people to think about doing as we get into this movement is to flex their triceps. So if you're flexing yep. your triceps, you know, the biggest fault we're going to see is that quarter extremity violation, as you said, pulling early. Anyone listening has pulled early. Guaranteed. If you've not been told you pulled early, you need to find yourself a better coach. But you know, we're, we're all pulling early at times. So by flexing your triceps, you're just keeping your arms long. What's, what's Coach Bergner's expression about that? When the arms bend, the power ends. Exactly. When the arms bend, 
the power ends. You know, Coach Bergner said it, and it's true. So that's what we're trying to do here. Once we go past that deadlift, where do we go? Then we're just going to really start to layer on that that kind of big movers first concept to that quarter extremity concept. So then from there, we're going to go to a deadlift and shrug. And when I teach it, I really emphasize the fact that I don't want any speed associated with this portion of the progression. What I want to see is to make sure that the sequence is intact, meaning that they stand up first, get to full hip extension, and then shrug while keeping their arms straight. So I'll tell everybody, I want it to be a very distinct one-two. And this is where people can this is where newer coaches can make some errors. And what I will tell people is start slow because it is much easier to put speed on a movement than it is to take speed off. Yeah, I'm the same way. I'm like, this should look like stand, shrug, squeeze your butt, shrug your shoulders up, down. And then, of course, when they are doing that well, you know, consistently, mechanics consistency, then we can add some intensity and speed up a little bit. But sticking with that deadlift shrug. Yep, that's it. And I just want to make sure those that sequence stays intact. You know, it should be a distinct one, too. And then once you've done it slowly, then all I'm going to do is speed it up. So I'm going to go deadlift shrug slow, and then I'm going to go deadlift shrug fast. You know, and, and people look at this like, that's silly. Guess what? You all do that for the clean and the snatch. We all focus yes. on, I mean, how many times we, we hit snatches yesterday at the box, and we did some deadlift shrugs because that's what we need to fine-tune. You know, people are pulling early. It's the same cues we're using for the sumo deadlift high pull that we're using for the more advanced lifts. And like Coach Glassman said, you know, most of the time if we're not teaching these, it's the Olympic lifts is because we're afraid of them and we're just not good enough so we don't coach them. Yeah, it's just you're, you just have not figured out an efficient way to teach the movement. That's, that's where these progressions come, come in really handy. And what's important about these progressions, though, like you and I didn't make these up, obviously. What's important about the progressions is they've been vetted. They work. Like they've been tried on hundreds of thousands of people, they're effective. So don't recreate the wheel. If you want to add something to that later, sure. It's you know it's funny because we're you know we we both teach at the level twos, and inevitably someone will come in with a with a brand spanking new progression to any movement. The new hotness. The new hotness. And we're like, hey, you know, you don't have to have our progression or our plan, but you need a plan. But then always, always, always there's a flaw to that progression. Like, oh, did you think about it from this perspective? Or did you realize this would happen? Like you said, these, these progressions have been used for 15 years now. Not, I would say hundreds of thousands of people have gone through them and, it, and they work. Easily. They work. I, so, and what, so, but I want to, I want to dig in on what you just said there, because it's important. I think the, I think what's important about anybody using a progression is you need to know why you're using the progression. Like the progression should have a very specific part of the progression should have a very specific point behind it. It's not just like I do this progression because we do it. You need to be able to express to yourself or even to somebody that you're going to teach this to, what's the reason behind this progression? Like what is the purpose of what we're doing right now? So all the progressions, the way I view them, they're, they're, they're for two different audiences. One obviously is for the athlete. So I get to take something that's pretty complex and I get to break it into palatable little pieces, right? So little small chunks, you know, how many times have we seen this? All right, guys, here's the Sumadella type. I'm going to show you. All right, now you do it. 
Yeah, or they do it right in front of them, like aerobics. That's my favorite one. Like, yeah. do it with them. Like, cool. <laughs> yeah, good luck. I don't think that's going to work, you know. And again, people don't know what they don't know. So you need to break that down into pieces. The other thing is, from a coaching standpoint, the progressions allow you to see pretty subtle dynamic faults because I break down and remove certain portions of the movement. So if you want to see an early arm pull in the Sumodella tie pool and you're a fairly inexperienced coach, it's highly unlikely that you're going to see it at full speed or if I do the movement in one fell swoop. So at first you have to break it down so you can get, you can start to direct your eyes into where those faults are going to happen. And by breaking it into progressions, you get to do that. Absolutely. We've gone through this progression. We're at the finals phase. They've deadlifted. They've shrugged at a standard speed, the normal speed in which they'll be moving. Then we can add that high pull. And, you know, the benefit of waiting that long is we've eliminated that quarter extremity violation. And now we can focus on where their elbow position is. Is it high and outside like we want? Because like you said, we want to make sure, you know, their grip is correlated to that. If they go too narrow or even too wide, potentially that can affect their elbow position. Yeah, hundred percent. So the reason why those elbows high and outside is that also is going to lend itself to the clean and the snatch, right? We get that scarecrow position where we start to pull, but now, like we said, that's where it ends. Oftentimes with the sumo della tie pull, there becomes that kind of, you know, what's the range of motion? Where should I pull to? The regional said this, the game said that. What's your, what do you tell your athletes when we look at range of motion for the movement? Well, first, before we start talking about that, when, when people, my general guidance to gym owners, do not use regional and game standards for your range of motion standards in your gym. Those are specific because that is a sport. What you're doing inside your gym is not a sport. So you don't need those standards. You need to come up with what is an appropriate range of motion based on an athlete's natural anatomical end ranges. So like, yeah, I don't want GHD is a perfect example, right? So having everybody touch the floor is, is not a good idea because I got short athletes. So figure out what a good range of motion is that allows athletes to be in a good position. When we talk about range of motion in the sumo title is where this conversation usually gets a little bit sticky. And everybody's like, well, everybody, you know, I don't like to teach it. This is a very common excuse for not teaching the sumo title. I don't like to teach this because people don't know how to do it or they don't do it well. No that's shit. kind of confusing to me because that's your job, right? So you have to teach people how to do that. And let's all just agree that doing any movement poorly is a bad idea. Like, I don't care what we're talking about. No, we don't want people to do the sumo dove type incorrectly with an internally rotated shoulder, shoulder. Like, that's a bad, inefficient, potentially unsafe position. So let's coach people out of it and teach them how to do it correctly. That's our job as a coach. And it's the point of this podcast. It's the point of, you know, teaching things in a progression is no, we don't want people moving like shit. And, and then, you know, when, when you're saying that it's, you know, I always think about the doctor that tells the little old lady not to, not to deadlift. Like, Hey, you can't deadlift. Okay. What happens when you get home from the grocery store and you put the bags down? How do you get them back up? You're going to deadlift. And just like you're going to sumo deletypal. So if we're not teaching them because we're afraid it's dangerous, guess what, guess what happens when they're on the real world? Then they're really in a compromised position because they're probably moving more than they should and they're not used to doing it correctly. And let's go back to the scaling episode. If you're worried about people moving poorly, just decrease the load. Yeah, and you're not going to get hurt no matter how poorly you move with PVC. It's pretty hard to do. 
it's hard, right? Not, there's some some people out there that can manage it, but let's say it's hard. So as as we're going through this, we've kind of set up. Really, all we've done is taught, and we need to, you know, understand that's just one sixth of being an effective coach: teaching, seeing, correcting, group management, demonstration, and presence and attitude. You know, rounding it up, we've taught it. Seeing the Summa Della Taipo is a challenge, right? It's fast. What What do you? Fast, what are, the weight's light, and it's usually for high volume. So what are some tips you would give someone? Like, I'm watching this movement. It's not record it and go look at it on some app later on in slow motion. How can I see it done in real time in front of me? So there's some low-hanging fruit, and there's some things that'll take people a little bit more time to identify. So your low-hanging fruit are things like neutral spine, stance, and grip. You don't really need to have a ton of coaching hours on your eyeballs in order to, to identify some errors in stance and grip. So if you see those things, just change them. You know, tell people to widen up their, their feet or bring their feet in or push their knees out or adjust their grip. Once you get past that, basically everything past that is, is generally dynamic with the exception of the end position where the elbows need to be high and outside. So in order to see dynamic movement, A, I really can only look at one thing. So there's some really specific give, uh, kind of tells when somebody, let's use pulling early in the Simba Taipo, so a, a core extremity violation. There's some, there's some pretty telling things that would happen. If somebody pulls early in the Simba Taipo, let's say I'm looking at the athlete from a profile, so I'm at 90 degrees to the athlete. The bar is going to have a pretty significant deviation away from the athlete's body when they pull early. So that's the first thing. Is the bar coming away from the body? Is there space where there should not be? So I don't even have to look at the full movement. I just have to basically go with the binary decision of yes or no, is there space? The other thing I could look at is I can look at the athlete from either dead in front or right behind. So if the athlete's pulling early, so I'm going to kind of try to explain this visually or verbally so you guys can imagine it visually. Let's say you have somebody standing up tall and they've just done a sumo death lift. If they're in that position, generally what you would see is the arms would be straight with the elbow kind of pinned into the rib cage, right? So just straight arms standing up normal. If you have the athlete do a bit of a hip hinge and then pull in the barbell a little bit, what you'll see is there will now be daylight between the athlete's elbow and the rib cage where there should not be. So you could essentially stick your whole arm in between their arm and their rib cage when they're in that kind of hip hinged position. That, again, that space should not be there. You shouldn't see space until they've stood up all the way. So from a seeing standpoint, if I'm trying to see a really quick, really dynamic movement, like the sumo of high pull, I'm just gonna look for space where there shouldn't be. Is there space between the athlete's body and the barbell? Is there, when there shouldn't be, is there space between the elbow and the rib cage when there, when there shouldn't be? And that kind of eliminates me having to look at the full movement. I can just really key in on one thing. And that's a pretty binary decision. It's a one or a zero. It's a yes or no. So I don't have to look at the entire movement, space or no space. And then I can make my determination from there. You know, and what I like about that, I think if you're listening to this and you want to improve as, as a coach, first of all, two things you said really well there was, all movements have a static and dynamic position, right? And the static positions are the low-hanging fruit. Hey, push your knees open in that setup. Lift your butt. Lift your chest, right? You should be able to coach 20 people per rep on that. If not more, it's a matter of how long do you want to hold them there? 
you know, three, two, one, go, or they're moving eyes on one person, you're looking for one thing. But when it comes to seeing, it's really those reference points. People are often like, well, I saw something. So let's take your reference point there, your elbows. It's not just where the, the elbows are going to bend in the sumo della tie pull. It's, they have to. They have to. It's in reference to the hip extension. So if you see someone's elbows bend and you're also looking at their hips, if their hips are flexed or they're still bent, but their elbows bend, then we've pulled early, right? And you can see that from behind. Like you said, you can see that in front. And when you're looking at any movement, really that's what we're looking for, those reference points. It, you know, Where's their butt relative to their knees in the deadlift, right? It's not your butt has to move. Your knees have to move, but it's where do they move in reference to one another? So let's really just dive into this because pulling early, you know, we're going to see a couple other faults with the sumo deadlift high pull, primarily just that, you know, shoulder position or elbow position at the top. Elbows are too low, like a, like a T-Rex or a, a kitty cat or shoulders rolled in into that internal rotation. And, and for the, the internal rotation, we can fix that by removing some of that range of motion. We can take their hands a little wider. It's typically flexibility stuff. When it comes to that elbow position being low, cool, get those elbows high. We, I like that cue of stepping behind them, hit my elbows, you know, give me a Jackie Chan yeah. back here. But, but let's dive into that pulling early because that's, that's really where you can improve someone. So now we, we can see it. How do we go about actually fixing it? We've, so we've taught, now we're seeing how do we actually correct it? Well, I'll actually go even back one step backwards to kind of, from a coaching standpoint, how, how do you set yourself up in a, in a situation to forecast that that's even going to happen, right? So I want to be keyed in on my athletes who that is very likely going to happen. So we, we've just established that the sumo delft pull is a fast movement. So if I'm going to try to randomly see people pulling early, it's probably not going to work out for me. It's just too fast of a movement. So if we go one step back into, let's say you're coaching, we'll call it 10 athletes. You have a, a class of 10 people. The workout is whatever you want to be, sumo delft high pull and a gymnastics movement. As I'm going through the progression and I go sumo delft high pull and then I go to sumo deadlift high pull, or excuse me, sumo delft high pull and then shrug slow. And then I go to the third step of the progression, which is deadlift shrug fast. My culprits who are going to pull early are going to pull early in that piece of the progression. You will see the elbow bend when you're doing the deadlift shrug fast. And it'll be really obvious because in that scenario, nobody should have a bent elbow. Right. So you're going to see those people, you're going to see those people bend their elbow in that piece with the progression. And all I can do now is I can just take a mental note. I can say, Hey Jay, leave that arm straight. But when I get to the full movement, I've kind of put a pin in that athlete and be like, they're probably going to pull early. So when I get to full movement, I'm going to go to this athlete over here. It, that is very likely going to happen. It doesn't happen all the time. Hopefully you can fix it in the progression, but it's a pretty good tell for somebody who's going to pull early. They'll pull early in the progression too. And you'll tell the athlete three or four times, Hey, straight arms, straight arms, straight arms, extend the elbow, flex your tricep. And you're like, this cat's pulling early. Like it's going to happen. Take it to Vegas, put a bet on it. Like you'll win some money. Here's some so, things that you're, you're doing exceptionally well, but the audience isn't picking up on. Every cue you give is simple and it's actionable. You know, you're not saying you never once said, don't pull early. That's not a cue, right? That's just you telling someone what they're doing wrong and, and you're not making it super complicated. Hey, I need you to, you know, extend your elbows and keep your triceps engaged. You know, it's, it's, it's lock your arms, it's flex your triceps. It's, 
you know, keep the arms long. The, you know, as you're listening, steal these from Fern, steal these from me, because we've stolen them from other people. And also understand, this is a hard movement. I remember back to interning for staff. I had Mike G one time watching me, evaluating me. He's like, dude, you left everybody pulling early. Like, what the fuck? I'm like, I didn't mean to. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, but it was hard. Like, it's a hard movement to see. So you need to really, you know, spend time there. And going back to what you said earlier, you need to watch one person per rep and put yourself in the, don't watch somebody that's behind you. You know, they, you need to be in the right angle to see this yeah. as well. So, so, so yeah. go on there. You, you, like you said, if someone's doing it early, they're most likely going to continue. Maybe you fixed them, but if they haven't now, what? So now I'm going to be able to key in on that app and I'm like, uh, I can say to myself, all right, Jay's probably going to pull early. So I'm going to move to where I can see that happen. And now I've already established the two things that I'm either going to see or not going to see. I'm either going to see space or I'm not going to see space, depending on where I'm standing. So now if I go over there and let's say I'm standing at 90, so I'm looking at the athlete from a profile and I see that space from the side where the barbell's away from the body, you can do a couple different things. You can First thing I would do, quick verbal, is I would tell them to slow down. You know, squeeze your butt, then pull on the barbell. That would be a good verbal cue. If that doesn't work, maybe I go to a tactile cue and I put my hand behind their, their shoulder and I tell them, you have to hit my hand with your shoulder before you pull on the barbell. Because again, what we're trying to keep intact is that sequence, that sequence of a distinct one-two. If you're into music, it's, it's kind of like that. It's not, it's not a, a, a one count, it's a two count. So you have to keep that two count intact. And even movement that's done incredibly fast is still a two count. It's just a fast two count. You know, and I think that's important. A lot of times when I'm fixing people, you know, be it at a seminar or just in class, it's like, slow down. All right, now let's do this better. You know, it goes back to the, the CrossFit charter, mechanics, consistency, intensity. If you're trying to go you know, too fast, too soon, don't be afraid to just slow your athlete down and or take them a step back into the progression. Let's get them deadlifting and shrugging with straight arms, which will lend itself to the full movement and not pulling early. I, I think people underestimate the value of just starting slow. Everybody wants to get to the full movement. We're, we're using a PVC pipe. We can just get there. But think of it this way. If it's, it's the same concept of like learning to drive a car. You don't just hop out on the highway and start driving 55. You learn to drive the car in the parking lot. You learn to put your signal indicator on, then make the turn. You learn to, a stick shift is a, is a great example. You learn like, but you have to do that very slowly with the car not even on first. All right, I've got to push the clutch and then I have to slowly release the clutch and make sure that I'm in the right gear. So just start slow. If you can get those mechanics done slowly, it's really easy to add speed. But again, it's so much more difficult to, to have to revert back and take speed off of those movements than it is to put it on. Absolutely. So take from this, you know, this takes time. You're going to be really bad at it. We had quite a few people send in their whiteboard briefs you know, for us to evaluate, we encourage you to do the same for the Sumo Della Taipo, whether it's your own movement or ideally you coaching someone and telling us what you see, let us help you see better. Let's see, you know, whether you're studying for your level two, your level three, or just trying to become a better coach, let us help you do that. 
What What are some so other? I, I got well. I got a question for you on this. Let's so let's 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 put this in real practical terms here. So let's again. The idea for these guys is is I want you to be able to walk, or we want you to be able to walk into your class this afternoon and utilize this information. So let's say you've programmed, you've you've listened to this podcast, you've decided, you know, Sumo title is not a bad thing. Maybe I'll start putting it back in there. So you program it. It's in the lesson plan. When you go to teach the Sumo Delta Tidepool in the class, two questions. About how long would you spend on the Sumo Delta Tidepool? And then about how long would you spend getting through the progressions versus being on the full movement in that time frame? What's your total time frame? And then how much time is allocated to each, each part of that? Great question. So I was thinking about it before we got on, and, and there's two workouts that I recall coming up often that involve the sumo del of typo. There's obviously fight gone bad. And then there's there's an old crossfit workout that's seven rounds of 10 sumo del of typos, 95, 65, 10 ring dips. And I remember back in the day that used to come up quite a bit and I used to do it a lot. Ooh, so dirty. yeah, quick and dirty. Um, so it, it depends on what the workout is, right? You're looking at your timeline, but let's take the harder one. Let's take fight gone bad. You know, fight gone bad is 17 minutes from start to finish. It's rare that you can run it that way in class because you'll have a lot of people. Maybe you have to stagger them in. So let's say it takes you 25 minutes. Now i got to warm people up. You know, but the sumo della typo and the push press are the two movements I'm going to spend the most time with because they're the more complex movements. And I can also get to them with the same piece of equipment, right? PVC or bar. So I'm probably going to take 10 to 12 minutes on that sumo della typo because it's going to tax them the most if they do it wrong, but it also has the greatest potential yield. People blow up on the sumo della typo and fight gone bad because we think about intensity, large load, long distance, and quickly. That's the movement that it's happening. So we could spend more time and get 20 to 25 reps per minute versus 12 to 15. So let's say I'm going to take 12 minutes to coach it. The goal of the progression is ultimately to get to the movement. So I'm going to take, you know, of those 12 minutes, a minute, let's talk stance like we already discussed. And then if I have a class of 15 to 20, I'll probably do five or six reps of each step of the progression. You know, so, all right, guys, we're going to deadlift five, just, you know, one at a time, calling our reps. Then we're going to add that slow shrug. Then we're going to add it at speed. Now I've got about six minutes remaining where I can really be in that full movement. Yeah, and I think the takeaway there is people are going to do the full movement in the workout, so try to get there as quickly as possible. Do you do you use any sort of uh, what I, what would I describe this as? Maybe like a template for roughly how many reps of the progression you want to get, depending on the number of athletes there are in the class. You know, in an ideal scenario, I would try to get my eyes on everyone once, but in a twenty-person class or even a ten-person breakout group at a level one, I would say you know. Probably for every person, you know, so 50% in reps, if I have 10 people, five reps, you know, because remember, okay. like, like you said, on the deadlift, I can, I'm coaching everyone in the static position. But then when I say stand, I might be having my eyes on one person. But then at the top, is everyone squeezing their butt? Does everyone have straight arms? And then yeah. okay. you, you put it well, you kind of put a pin in those people. Okay, once we started shrugging, you know, Jimmy over in the corner, I notice he's pulling early. I'm probably going to focus on him a little bit more, especially as we speed up. And 
you know, when you're in classes, you know your athletes that move a little bit better. So you definitely want your eyes on them. But I, I might put more of a focus on my newer athletes or my more troubled movers when we get there. And then as we get to the full movement, I can dive into those that have been doing this a long time. And my goal is always, I need to give, you know, Kevin, who's one of my best athletes, I need to always give him something to think about. So maybe the sumo della type, well, it's all right, dude, I want you to get 30 reps a minute. For you to do that, I really need you to be thinking about how you're going to reset every time. You know, if you drop your chest yeah. too fast, you're going to just be lifting with your low back. Cool, round one, you'll make it. But by round three of fight gone bad, your low back slid up. All of a sudden, your score is diminished. Got it. Okay. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think that's um, just a, something for the listeners to consider. You need to be giving everybody something in every class. Yeah, that's, that's what I always try to do for myself and for our coaching staff. Like, that's the gold standard is everybody should get something. And you may not get there, but I would tell you, if you get to 75 plus percent of the people, that's a pretty good start. But every, you should say everybody's name with something specific, some sort of specific feedback every single class. Yeah, I mean, that's how you keep, you know, we're going to have plenty of episodes on this, but how you keep the better athletes involved, how you keep them coming to class, and how you keep, you know, long-term, how you retain members. Because here's the reality. We're not competing with the CrossFit down the road. I've said it before. We're starting to compete with the Globo Gyms that are offering the same equipment as CrossFit's for $9.99. And if yeah. I'm not going to get coached, I'm going to save myself $150 a month and just go to, you know, Bally's Total Fitness down the road where I have bumper plates, a rower, and even a pull-up rig. Yep. Agreed. That's a, that's a real scenario to be, to be discussed. You know, you, you, your service has to be good. And if it's not, people should leave. I mean, forget will leave. They should leave. If you suck, they should leave. If I suck, my client should leave. So, you know, the episode's all about the sumo della typo. And the story I like to tell people these days is it was about three years ago now. I live in Florida. I have a homeowners association. And in this development, there's a hot tub and a pool. So it was like a random like Thursday night, I'm chilling in the hot tub. It's, you know, getting late. I'm the only one in the area. No one's at the pool. No one's at the hot tub except for me. And this old guy's sitting there as well. This guy's, we get talking. He literally was celebrating his 80th birthday that day. So I'm like, oh, that's great. You know, we're chatting. Nice guy. Um, his wife comes and he, I forget his name, but she's like, all right, it's time to go. And he keeps talking to me. He keeps talking to me. And I'm like, did you hear your wife? Like, she's going to get mad at you. And he's like, he looks at me. He's like, I can't feel my legs. And I'm like, oh, shit, we have a problem now. This 80-year-old dude just told me he can't feel his legs. He's like, we went out to dinner earlier. I had a few too many drinks. And then it's like, obviously, plus you're 80, you're sitting in this 105-degree water. Something's going on. His wife starts yelling at him. <laughs> and I'm laughing, but he literally starts floating. He's floating in the hot tub. His legs, like, and I'm like, what has happened? Like, I'm like, is this real? Like, am I on some TV show? And I'm like, his wife's panicking, full panic mode. I'm like, all right, I have to handle this. I get out of the hot tub, stand behind him, and under his armpits, I yank him out of the hot tub and, and drag him onto a lounge chair. And I didn't think anything of it. 
and then I realized later on, I was like, oh, that was a sumo della typo. And yeah, you know, pulled him out of the hot tub. He laid on the lounger for probably 10 or so minutes. We're talking. We had called 911. Um, you know, they come, but it, he, he winds up, you know, his legs start working again. As he's leaving, he's like, my doctor said I shouldn't drink or go in the hot tub. I was like, yeah, listen to your doctor <laughs> next time. But, um, you know, the, the point is the sumo della typo saves lives. And we, you know, hopefully you're not dragging 80-year-old men out of a hot tub, but you do use it every day. Yeah, it's a it's a buddy drag. It's a buddy carry. So if you remember the games last year, I think it was last year when they yeah. did the dummy drag. Yeah, they yeah, used the Randy or whatever couple, they called it. Yeah, there's a, there's a couple ways you can do that, but one of them is have them on their back, grab them underneath the armpits, and it, and because of the human body, you're going to have to go in a wider stance, which is a sumo delphiacal stance, and then if you want to get a really good grip on them, you're going to have to pull their shoulders or their chest right to probably your height, which is a sumo delphiacal. You know, and I've done this in a couple of scenarios where this question has come up and somebody will ask, hey, how is this functional? Because, you know, because we preach functional movements and I'll generally pick one of the bigger guys in a group that I'm teaching and I'll pick one of the smaller people, even if it's a female. And I'll have a guy lay down on his back and I'll say, I want you to to do a sumo to a tie pull and drag him two feet. And every single time they can do it. I'm like, it, it's functional, you know. So there you have it. You know, it's functional, it's safe, it gets people moving towards the more complex Olympic lifts, and you should be able to coach it. So hopefully you took a nugget or two, as always, from the Best Hour of Their Day podcast, and you can implement into that classroom setting immediately. Send us your videos, whether it's you doing the Sumo Della Taipo, are you coaching it? We'd love to help you. We'd love to help you prepare for your next evolution of coaching if you will anything to add about the sumo della typo firm no if you're still on the fence if you if you can improve people's sumo della typo you will improve their snatch and their clean and jerk so that's good enough reason for me good enough reason for me too thanks again for listening uh please again if you're still here like subscribe share our podcast the more people we can impact the better we appreciate all of the great feedback we've gotten so far and we want to continue this so Thanks again. We look forward to chatting with you on the next episode of Best Hour of Their Day.